Hey everybody, it's Nick. I uh, just wanted to say that the next movie that we're doing is John Carpenter's Halloween. A classic that I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, but that will be episode 14. I hope you guys like this episode. The audio, uh, you know, we're getting better with it. Uh, the remote is, is a little difficult sometimes, but uh, uh, we're getting there. Anyways, I think that's all I have to say. Enjoy the episode. The only horror movie podcast with Nick and Joe. <laughs> all right. Uh, hello, everybody. We're back. Hey. It's, it's episode 13 of the Only yeah. Horror Movie Podcast. Yeah. Good to be back. What's yeah, up, guys? Good. What's up, everybody? What's up, India? Uh, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> 67% of our listener base uh, is now in India. Good good God. Um, thank you all. We don't know what's going on over there, but uh, we like to picture you guys celebrating in the streets uh, for the Only Horror Movie Podcast. Could be the number one horror movie podcast in all of India. I, I haven't really compared to the numbers on any others to know that. but That is true. Uh, we don't know what's going on with your podcast situation out there, India. Uh, we just know that we've had almost 600 downloads for our last episode, which is uh, the that's the winner. That's the biggest episode we've ever done. Yeah. For, for the worst movie we've ever done. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. It's yeah. really, it's inspiring that such a bad movie got such a good response. Yeah, it really is. It makes us feel uh, all warm and fuzzy. And by meanwhile, the way, meanwhile, what? The critically acclaimed ones get next to nothing. Yeah. Some of the biggest ones we've done have gotten zero or at least, you know, 60 to 80 listens, which is fine. We're, you know, we're not blaming you guys for that. We appreciate you listening to any of the episodes. Yeah. We appreciate you listening to any of the episodes and, um, by the way, everybody, my name is Nick. And I'm Joe. This is the only horror movie podcast, a podcast where uh, Joe is a, uh, a longtime horror fanatic and I am a horror newbie. I don't know anything about horror films, but uh, Joe tells me to watch a movie every week and I go and I watch that movie. We come back and we talk about it. And this week, the movie was Cabin Fever from 2002 or three, depending on where you look. That's right. Yeah, I saw I saw 2003, but 2002 is fine by me. Uh, you want to, how, how do you want to do this? Let's, you know, before we get into the movie, Joe, yeah, let's catch up. Yeah. How's things been going? I know, uh, it seems like you've been pretty busy. You're getting the one man show. I have the one man show that is being written, uh, almost done. I've put it off, um, a thousand times over, um, to go do a show or do something else. Um, and, uh, or I'll just be lying in bed. And I'll be like, instead of working on the show, I'm going to watch a documentary about black holes. Mm, that seems like a, you know, something you need to know about. Yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good uh, documentary. I will say this about the documentary though. There's this one part where they're all waiting to like scan the black hole with like all these satellites. They're listening to one uh, somewhere over the rainbow as they do it. And it's just this long extended scene of them sitting there playing this song uh, over the speaker and one of them is singing along to it. And the other guy is just sitting there kind of quietly. Seems like an odd choice. I don't it know. Is an odd choice. I'm not a big fan. Of You're not a big fan of the song? No, nah, it's, it's not my style. You know, it's a little sappy sounding for me. It is pretty sappy, isn't it? And yeah. it was used in 51st dates. I think we're done with it. Yeah. We don't need that shit. Stick a fork in that shit. Shelve it for, you know, for another 50 years. 
What is yeah, that from? At least another, the song? Yeah. And it, I don't know. I just remember something. And it's not from a musical. It's still, uh, I have no clue. It's a big dude, a big Hawaiian guy with a tiny ukulele who's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, oh, it's uh, that version too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the version they were playing. Oh, okay. I think the original Sweet song, might be from a Wizard of Oz, right? But not it wasn't that version. Oh, okay. Somewhere over the rainbow. That is the original yeah, one, right? Yeah, I think so. All right. Hey, Wizard of Oz is kind of a horror movie. Uh, what's going on with you? Uh, you know, just got uh got fitted for my suit for the wedding. You know, got uh band practice this weekend. Might go see that smile movie later. Oh, okay. Which one? What's that one? It's a horror flick. Yeah, I think it's just called Smile. Oh, right on. People have this creepy smile on their face, and then it uh, kills you or something. I don't know. Tell me about what's going on. You went to do the fitting for your wedding. Yeah, doing a burgundy uh, velvet suit. Burgundy velvet. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. I'm. I usually. I'm not a suit guy. I don't like dressing up, but I'm. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, totally. No, sometimes dressing up is nice, but it's good that you're excited for your wedding. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to it. What else has been going on? How's your brain? Uh, my brain's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Things are looking up, you know. Going to re- uh, finish recording the the demo next week. So that should be out like uh, middle, end of October. That's awesome. Yeah. So the botched execution demo. Look out for that. I look expect out, folks. all of you to listen to it. I'm sure they will. Well, we're going to get the Indian population so into our specific horror movies and your specific music and uh, hopefully my specific uh, one man show. Yeah, that and then, uh, you know, stand up and stand up. Yeah, we won't work ever in the United States. We'll just have to tour India, which I'd be I'd be cool with that. I'd be cool with that. Yeah. Just uh, if you guys want to put us up, uh, you know, house us while we come and uh do things in your city. That'd be cool. I would love to go to India. Yeah, I would too. And, uh, you know, Joe and I, uh, you know, we're, we're spiritual people. We'd like to see, uh, we'd like to go and maybe live there and meditate for a couple of years. Yeah. Swim in the Ganges, you know? Yeah. So, uh, India hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we should say, guys, if you're listening to the podcast, if we have almost 600 people listening to the last episode, you guys got to get on there and subscribe to our pod and leave a, a review because I can't tell you how much it helps. I know it helps it's a, us a lot. It helps us so much. And I know it's like kind of a little bit of a, you know, inconvenience to pull out your phone and go on to Apple or whatever and press the five star button and write the review, you know, but if you do that, it helps us tremendously. All these things that you do are just going to give us more and more listens and it'll make our lives better in the long run because we can pace people to edit the podcast uh, so we don't have to keep doing all the other extra work. Yeah, because it's it's taking up a lot of hours of Nick's life right now. It's, yeah, uh, half of my half of my work week is uh, is the podcast. So if you guys yeah. can, uh, I'm not going to ask you. Like I'm not going to put too much pressure on you, but I, uh, you know, have a second. Go ahead, do it. Mm-hmm. I'll probably cut out this last part. I f- I feel like I'm a little too uh, a little too desperate for the listeners to, to do. Yeah, this. well, you know, it's a desperate situation. We really <laughs> need you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, anyways, almost as desperate as the situation facing our heroes in cabin fever, a very good, uh, transition into our film for the week. Everybody cabin fever from 2002. Uh, I thought it was great. Did you? I was like, uh, is another 50, 50 shot. He might hate it or might enjoy it. No, I, well, I, I think Eli Roth is really cool. 
and um, I don't know much about him, but I I like uh, a lot of the stuff that he's done, uh, whether it be like acting or or writing, directing. To me, this was the version of Wrong Turn. It's what Wrong Turn should have been. Should have and could have been. Yeah, definitely. It should have and could have been. It's like what I liked about this movie is it wasn't about this one thing of like we're infected and we all just watch them drop like flies one by one. It was more like on top of all this stuff happening, they're also like dealing with some other issues. There's like a weird police officer. There's some sketchy people at the general store, you know, and it's and also hermit in the woods, hermit in the woods. And there's also every character uh, genuinely like sucks as a, as a human being, but it's in a way where it's heightened to a level where you're just like, Oh, I want all these people to die. And I feel like they are going to, and I'm very excited to watch that happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They were uh, similar to the characters in wrong turn, but maybe not as flat. Yes. Yeah. The, the dialogue is like uh, weirder and better written. I think, yeah. You know, I think they just put more love into this script. Oh, they absolutely did. I, I, yeah. I it was just, it was just a fun, I mean, ob, you know, it's obviously funny. There's a lot of things in the movie that are f- purely for comedy, whereas wrong turn, no funny moments at all. Cause they weren't written by funny people. They tried, they did try a little bit and failed, but, um, but yeah, cabin fever is some genuinely funny, weird moments. And it's also, You know, it's kind of got that like Tarantino feel at certain points where it's just kind of like, oh, this is like really over the top. And whatever you think is going to happen, it's going to be more fucked up than that. Absolutely. Which is great. I mean, it's 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 uh, exciting and refreshing. And uh, I like when things are funny in really, really dark, twisted ways like that. Yeah, it's a wild fucking movie. It really is. Like, yeah, it's great. And it's still, even from 2002, I'm just like, oh man, this is a fucking blast. Yeah, it's my definitely my favorite Eli Roth movie. Not that I've seen all of them, but uh, yeah. let's get into it. I'll just do yeah. a little bit of the, the basic background stuff and then we'll go through it. Sweet. So Cabin Fever of um, 2000 is either 2002 or 2003, depending on your source. Directed by Eli Roth. Written by Eli Roth and Randy Perlstein. Special effects by KNB Effects Group, which is uh, Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger. Stars Ryder Strong, Jordan Ladd, James DeBello, Serena Vincent, Joey Kern, Ari Verveen, and Giuseppe Andrews. Eli Roth is the son of a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, and clinical professor at Harvard Medical School uh, and a painter. Wow, okay, uh, wow. He's an American film director, screenwriter, producer, and actor uh, known for directing Cabin Fever, Hostel, the Thanksgiving segment uh, from fake trailer and Grindhouse for the movie Thanksgiving, which was not a real movie. Oh, nice. He also did Hostel Part 2, The Green Inferno, which is kind of a uh, tribute to Cannibal Holocaust. As an actor, he's appeared in many small ro- roles in his own films, as well as being the wet t-shirt contest host in Piranha 3D, uh, Sergeant Donnie the Bear Jew Donowitz and Inglorious Bastards. That's actually the first time I think I ever saw him and was Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. And everybody was like, it's Eli Roth. I was like, I don't know who that is. And then that's when I learned about him. Yeah, that was, uh, it was exciting to see him in that. He doesn't act a ton, but when you do, it's it's usually great. Yeah, yeah, he did great in that movie. Uh, he is a member of the notorious Splat Pack. Aha. Uh, yeah, known for their explicitly violent and controversially bloody horror films. Uh, and he re- received a visionary award for his contribution to the horror genre at the Stanley Film Festival. Hell yeah. I guess with that, we can get into it. And then I'll, if I have any yeah, notes yeah. I can throw in. 
as we're yeah. going along, I will. Yeah, please interject whenever you want. Um, should I take? I'm going to take my shirt off, my uh, my, uh, <laughs> my uh, sweater off. It's hot. Sure. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Maybe if you do the whole thing topless, we'll get more. Yeah, I could do the whole top. more interest. That yeah maybe if maybe if we did this, Joe, what do you think of this? What if we did this whole show with our shirts off, and you only get the video if you subscribe to our Patreon? Forget Patreon, just go straight to OnlyFans. That would be nice. Oh yeah. boy, I would love that. Just me and you, just chant with our shirts off, and people paying for it. I think there might be someone who would. I think, <laughs> I think there's a good hand, handful of people in the entire country of India who might be into watching us um, talk with uh, no shirts. Yeah, I've been working out a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing some yoga. All right, folks, the movie's Cabin Fever from 2002 or three, one of those. Okay, and I wrote at the top here uh, before I ever watched the movie, I was like, there is a chance that I may not like this movie. And I said, I don't know why. But that all changed, Joe. I'm, I'm glad to hear it because I fucking love this movie. That's great. No, it's I haven't super- watched it in a long time and it was uh, just really enjoyable to go it's through. It's so entertaining. So we open on some pretty ominous uh, music with a, a credit sequence that's pretty scary. But it's like a nice short credit sequence. Not so much like a long three minute wrong turn credit sequence. But it's very scary music. Birds chirping turns into flies buzzing as we, uh, as we see the title Cabin Fever come up on the screen. We cut to the sun rising over a lake a shot of skinny tall trees bare leafed it must be kind of cold winter maybe we don't know we pan down to a man in a peacoat and he's walking through the woods carrying a dead rabbit in one hand by his side just dangling by his uh, leg and the other hand is a chain that rattles as it swings with his every step he walks past a dog looks like a husky that's just lying there and it's kind of got like some blood on its stomach uh, the man is very dirty, cigarette in his mouth. He's a raggedy fella in his like, mid to late 30s, probably. He looks down at the dog and dangles the rabbit over its face. Here you go, boy, he says. The dog doesn't move, so he continues. Come on, boy, he keeps dangling the rabbit in front of his face. The dog looks very dead. Yeah, it does not look good. It looks totally long dead, uh, but he doesn't quite notice yet, right? So he grabs the front of his dog's leg and lifts it up, and as he does, we see that the dog's body has been entirely gutted. It's entirely chest cavity opens up as he lifts blood uh, the the leg up and just blood spews from the inside of the dog all over the man's face as he screams he's like it only gets bloodier too it only gets bloodier from here folks we hard cut to a young white lady uh screaming woohoo no more fucking finals out the passenger side window of a truck at a stoplight with four of her friends uh she looks at a kid who's staring up at her from a crosswalk and she says uh don't go to college kid it's a fucking scam Woo! and then the light turns green and they speed off right this girl is jamming out in this truck and this is marcy right she's in the passenger seat a blonde man drives this is jeff right and then there's three others sitting in the uh truck bed in the back one of the men sits in the middle of the uh three this is uh paul right a blonde woman sleeps on his shoulder and paul is rider strong uh, who everyone would recognize from Boy Meets World. I mean, this guy was from the from the original Boy Meets World. I mean, what was his yeah. name? Sean or something? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the cool friend. Yeah. He had the cool hair. Yeah. The music that's playing is from Last House on the Left, too. Just a little bit of is trivia. That a, what's that? Is that another horror movie? It's a, yeah. 70s. Uh, one of I think Wes Craven's first or nice little it's, nod it's to very hardcore disturbing horror movie hell yeah dude Marcy looks back and asks uh, the man who's sitting next to Paul if he has any smokes and he says no but then he looks at Paul and he shows him that he has a pack of Marlboros now this is Bert everybody 
Paul chuckles. Uh, cut to a little later. Music has shifted to some real, like, kind of late 90s alternative rock. It seems that they've been driving for a little while now, right, Joe? Just driving out to the country, right? Driving out to the country. And uh, Marcy puts her hand in Jeff's crotch, and he laughs, and they make out. They're all horny. Uh, you know, they just got out of college. We cut to an old, middle-of-the-road general store, right? A child with long blonde hair sits on a swinging bench out on the front porch, staring blankly off into the distance. Uh, the truck pulls right into the store parking lot and all the kids empty out of the truck together. They're a bit rowdy, these ones, you know? Marcy and Jeff immediately start making out. They're just like next level horny. Paul saunters up to the bench and sits next to the child and says, put her there, sport. And uh, the kid doesn't respond. He's just kind of got his hand down. He says, what's wrong? Cat got your tongue? And nothing from the kid until suddenly he bites down onto Paul's hand. Paul screams and his friends look over terrified. A man comes running out of the general store with a a baseball bat and says, no, Dennis, no. And he grabs Dennis by the hair and Dennis screams like, ah, everybody knows not to sit next to Dennis. He says, mongrel will give you tetanus. Uh, and Paul's like, maybe you should make a sign, which is a great point. You know, you can't just leave a kid out there who bites people and not say anything. How do you not know? Everyone not to knows. Sit next to Dennis. Everyone knows. So the man says, uh, there's a stream around back. If you want to go there and wash your hands. So Paul's like, what the fuck? But he just like walks to the back. Everyone disperses and goes and enters the drugstore. Jeff stops at the door and very cockily, you know, he says, hey, pal, do you think it's a smart idea leaving your child out here where he might be a danger to people? And the man's like, what are you saying? And uh, Jeff's like, well, if such an incident were to bring up a lawsuit, you might be liable. And uh, and so here's what I here's when I was like, oh, I like how they've written these characters because they're next level shit. Yeah, they're real dicks to almost like a caricature of like a shit bag. But anyways, so Marcy's like, forget it, Jeff, save it for law school. And they walk in as Bert passes by into the store. He looks at the uh, he looks at the man and he says, cute kid cuts a Paul in the back of the store. He's looking around at the mess uh, flies buzzing. Um, it's just kind of like a little bit of ominous music plays as he uh, approaches the stream. Right. And he washes his hands and a couple of friendly stray dogs walk up to him and he's all excited. He's like, oh, what's your name? And he starts playing with these dogs. We cut inside the store. The kids are browsing around the store, looking at weird trinkets, glassware. They make jokes about this like little bottle of fox piss that they find uh, all while the old store manager Uh, This old store owner with like this big beard, this like he looks like he's in his 70s, big fat guy. And he sits at the front desk and just rambles on. He's like, I used to have in that space, that empty space, some of the prettiest Shirley Temples I've ever seen. And this woman came in with palsy, bless her heart, and reached for him and broke them all the damn pieces. And I took her out back and gave her some uh, coke and ammonia, thought she was going to have a spell. And the kids are like, um, uh, okay, you know, they're still making more jokes about the fox pest or whatever. And uh, anyway, oh, by the way, this guy sounds like uh, Zach Galifianakis character. He does. If yeah. You, if you notice, yeah, that's it's ex- very Seth Galifianakis. <laughs> it's very that Southern guy. The high that, pitch Southern yeah. <laughs> accent. Yeah, that's exactly what he sounds like. So he says, anyway, if you're thinking of going to the woods, be careful. And Karen's like, what's in the woods? And the old man doesn't hear that part. Tommy walks in and he's like, Tommy, would you grab those uh, their sandwiches back there? They're all wrapped up. Paul's like, what's uh, what's the fox urine for? The old man's like, that's for fox season. And Karen's like, what's the rifle for? The old man says, well, that's for N-words. Says He says it, folks. Oh, yeah. That was one of the reasons they had a hard time selling the, the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very kind of bumpkin-y, you know, racist guy line that they wrote in the movie. And uh, it's there. 
Um, but we're not going to say it. So anyways, the kids stand shocked at uh, yeah. what he just said. The one thing that's too much for them. <laughs> right. And, and, and they were, they're kind of like, this guy was like super friendly. And then he says this one thing and they're like, Oh, okay. So the old man rings them up for their food and they all awkwardly pay for their stuff. Bert's like, uh, have a nice day, sir. And he's a weird guy. You can get this really weird bro vibe from Bert, but he's like a strange fellow. He likes cute kid. And he said like, have a nice day to the racist guy. He's got kind of like a frat boy vibe, but like kind of like an airhead as well. Kind of dumb, yeah. a big oaf. Mm-hmm. So as they walk to the car, um, Tommy, the guy with the bat, grabs Bert by the shoulder as he walks out of the porch and he says to him, you want to give me one good reason why you think it's okay to steal a Snickers bar? And Bert hesitates for a minute and he says, the nougat? He gives the candy bar back to Tommy and then Tommy's like, all right, get going. As they all get back into the truck, they're all talking shit about the store and Bert's like, I'll burn that racist motherfucker store to the ground. And they speed off and Tommy watches them go as they drive away. Tommy didn't like these kids. No. I mean, not much to like there, you know? No. The kids drive along over some grass, um, like through this field, and they're kind of lost. They're trying to find their way. They finally make it to this cabin in the woods, and they pull up, and there's a little bit of haunting music playing again. They Very walk Evil s- Dead vibes in this cabin. Oh, yeah? Okay. Um, yeah. Still, still haven't seen that one, but folks, if you have, then you know what Joe is talking about. Yeah. They walk inside, and they look around. Everyone's really excited. You know, it's a real good good vibes. Jeff reads a letter welcome them, welcoming them to... Uh, to the home and it was signed you know it says like have a great time signed to you know the bunyan mountain getaways marcy finds the bedroom and jeff comes running in and they're there you know they were super horny we saw them touching each other so they just start making out and undressing and uh marcy's like there's nobody here to bother us and then paul walks in and he's like who's ready for a dip and then it kind of interrupts everything and there's a there's an awkward beat and then uh they look at paul and he's like oh i just you know uh and then he leaves and then jeff's like hey paul and paul pokes his head back in and jeff says uh have fun then Paul leaves and Jeff sees from the window outside. Bert is right against the glass watching them with binoculars. And he just laughs. Just an odd fella. Just being a little creepy. Being a little creepy. Nothing wrong Paul, with that. Paul's it's, a bit of a dork. That's 2002. You know, let him have it. So uh, moments later, Paul and Karen head to the stream and they run into Bert, who's holding a gun. And Karen's like, what the hell is that? And Bert says, uh, oh, I'm going to shoot some squirrels. Paul says, why would you want to kill squirrels? And Bert sips his beer and he says, because they're gay. Karen says, don't be a fucking retard. So these are some (laughs) these are some uh, real things that uh, people just won't. You won't really see this in movies anymore. No, but that is how a lot of people talked in the early 2000s. You could argue it's a lot of how a lot of people talk now. But this was uh, in in the early 2000s. It was very much like, hey, this is how kids talk and this is how we're going to write them. So you would see more of this stuff. So Bert's like, uh, I'm kidding. I don't care if they're gay or straight, which I thought was a funny line. Uh, Paul's like, uh, would you be careful with that thing? And Bert's like, it's just a BB gun. Relax. Then he holds the gun off uh, to the side and then fires it. And it's not a BB gun at all. It's a real rifle. Uh, and he starts laughing, cuts a Paul and Karen walking through the woods. Paul is trying to work up the courage to tell Karen how he feels about it. Right. He's just clear. They've been friends for a long time and he wants to tell her, you know, he's like, I think you're really cool. And I think, uh, you know, we've known each other for so long and, and maybe it might be nice, you know, and she's like, Hey, race you to the raft. And so they just, she just books it. And he's like, no, okay. You know, he's kind of happy that it's still kind of flirtatious. So he chases after her. Then we have a short little montage of Bert shooting squirrels intercut with Jeff and Marcy fucking. 
And uh, so we get a few shots of that. It's pretty fun. Jeff is uh, a very passionate lover. He's saying, uh, you're fucking amazing and you're fucking awesome. And then she grabs him. Marcy grabs Jeff, turns him around and sticks uh, what we assume is her fingers into his asshole. And I'd never seen anything like that before when I watched never, this movie. Never had seen that in any movie ever. So she turns around, sticks her fingers in his ass, and then he comes as we cut. Uh, Paul and Karen are lying down on a dock in the sun, right? And Karen tells him how another guy from school tried to kiss her recently and how gross it was. And uh, Paul was like, is it gross because you've known that guy for so long? Or like, why was it gross? And Karen's like, you know, when you've known someone for like such a long time and you just want to kiss them to see if they're a good kisser or not. And Paul's like, uh, and Karen's like, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And Paul's like, no. And then they lean in and they start making out and they really start making out big time. You know, this is a huge moment for Paul. We know that. We know how much Paul already. We all know, already know how much Paul loves He's this. Woman. Very thirsty. Very, very thirsty. And she's very, very attractive. So we don't know much about Karen here, but uh, we're learning. Then she rolls into the water uh, on purpose. And Paul's like, wait, what the fuck? What happened? We were kissing. You know, so do you like me now? Is that what this is? And she goes, she says, uh, don't be gay. And she swims off. And so then we cut to Bert in the woods. He strikes a match and starts like a big circle of fire around like uh, the bonfire. Right. There's like a bonfire spot. But then he, he, he has a fire pit and he lets a circle of fire around it. Yeah. Like with gasoline. And then he just walks away from it and he looks for more squirrels. He sees some rustling, um, you know, in the bushes. So he aims his rifle and uh, he fires. And, but then we hear a man yelp and he He's like, oh, fuck. And so he approaches the man and he says, are you all right? And we see that it's the man from the very beginning, the hermit, the guy with the dog. And Bert is panicking, right? The man's like, why'd you shoot me? And he's the man says, I'm sick. And Bert's like, I'll get some help. And the man stands up. He doesn't look very good at all. His face is all scabby and red. You know, Bert tells him to stay back as the, the man just stumbles towards him closer and closer. The man points to the cabin. He says, is that your cabin? And Bert says, no, stay back. And he, he freaks out and he fires another round uh, into the ground and it startles the man. But the man falls backwards uh, into a ditch and Bert just runs away, leaving him there alone. Uh, cut to Jeff and Marcy putting out the fire that Bert started. Right. Uh, they yell at him for doing something so stupid and reckless. And Bert's like, who are you, Smokey the Clown? And they're like, don't you mean Smokey the Bear? Marcy says, what the fuck were you shooting at? And he's like, squirrels. And they're like, you fucking idiot. And so then we fade into later in that night, right? And they're all sitting around the bonfire. Everyone's telling Paul to tell this traumatic story that he has, like this scary story. So Paul tells the story of this bowling alley that he used to go to as a kid. And one day he asked his dad uh, if he could go. And his dad is like, uh, no, it's closed. And Bert looks at his marshmallow that's on the end of his stick and he's laughing and he's going, it's so burnt. A lot of the stuff pays off, you know, which I like in this movie. A lot of like little details that you're like, why are, why does this happen? Uh, pay off later in the movie, which I think is great. Paul says that there had been a break in at the bowling alley and all the employees were held at gunpoint. They were gagged, beaten, and they were tied to chairs and they were put into a circle so they could all see each other. And the robber took a ball peen hammer and bashed everyone's skull in. And then he breaked out and then he broke out the fire axe and he chopped off the limbs of all of the employees. Then Paul was like, uh, so that was my childhood playground. And then Bert does a spit take and just starts laughing with all this marshmallow in his mouth. And Marcy's like, it's not funny, you fucking dipshit. And Bert's like, yes, it is, you fucking slut. Marcy's like, Jeff, 
like looking like, hey, can you defend me here? And Jeff's like, what? So you just a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, Jeff is painted as such a piece of shit in this movie. And it's, it's in such a great job. It's hard to um, say who's the worst, but he's a pretty good candidate. Yeah, he's very good. It's him or Bert, probably. So he tells uh, Paul, he's like, oh, tell him about the happy bald guy. And so Paul says, yeah, there is this employee that used to give us our shoes there. And he was always happy, always nice. He always had this big smile on. But the killer got him, too. When the cops showed up to the scene, they found that the killer had used the limbs and organs of his victims to go bowling. So there's like knocked over pins with like people's hearts and feet and fucking heads. And they found the smiling guy's head in the ball dispenser. And uh, Paul says he was still smiling. And then Jeff starts cracking up and everyone's like, Paul, you're a liar, right? A couple things about that. Yeah, uh, please. The smiling guy was uh, played by Adam uh, Roth, Eli Roth's brother. Okay. I was going to want, I was wondering about that because when I saw him, I was like, is that Eli Roth? He looks a lot like Eli. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the bowling alley story uh, Paul tells around the campfire is actually based on a real life quadruple homicide that happened in Boston in 1980. Wow. Uh, a former employee, Brian Dyer, broke in and killed four other employees. He bound their hands, three with handcuffs and a fourth with his belt, bludgeoned them all with a bowling pin before shooting them all in the head once. Oh my God. Three of them died at the scene while one would die later in the hospital. Uh, Dyer was eventually sentenced to four consecutive life terms and died in prison in 2011. Holy shit. That is horrifying, Joe. He didn't use their bo- their limbs as bowling uh, balls, though. That might have been added, but still. Okay, right. Yeah. Well, still, that's fucking insane. Uh, great facts, though. Really makes yeah. this movie more intense. Now, when you guys watch it, you'll know all this stuff. Paul gets up from the fire and kind of like walks around the perimeter of it. And he's talking about how much he loved the bowling alley and stuff. When he sees another man standing there with his dog. And everyone's like, huh. everyone's spooked, right? They look over. And this guy, right, is Justin. This is Justin played by Eli Roth. And everyone's like, Jesus Christ, who the fuck are you? And he's like, I'm cool. I'm cool. And Karen's like, wait, is your dog friendly? Because it's kind of like growling a little bit. And Justin's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Mambo. Dr. Mambo's cool. And he ties him to a tree. He's like, here you go, Dr. Mambo. Very like Colorado guy here. You know? Yeah. Super early 2000s guy, too, with like the, the soul patch and like the totally hoodie and baggy jeans. Like, yeah, I, I knew people like this. I feel like if you were around that time, we all knew people like this. Oh, yeah. So Marcy's like, so you call him Dr. Mambo, like doctor, like a professor or a physician. And Justin's like, yeah, he's a professor of being a dog face. And he does like that thing with his hand. You know, he breathes very heavily. Like he's a very, very he's like. And then he says, scratch moded, which I don't know what that means. What is that? Have you heard that before? I say that all the time. What does it mean? What is it? What's the context? At least no one knows what it means. Just say it. (laughs) Scratch moded. Uh, So and then he breathes heavily again. And he says, uh, that's a positive bonfire you got. Got room for one more. And Jeff's like, uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of a private thing. And Justin's like, all right, well, I guess I'll uh, go smoke all this weed alone and pulls out this huge bag of weed. And uh, the group's like, oh, no, no, you can hang. It's not that private. You know, it's pretty cool. And so uh, Justin nods his head and eerily says, awesome. And dark music shrieks. He breathes heavily again. And he sits right next to Karen. Bert says to Paul, uh, he like leans over to Paul and he's like, he's going to fuck her. And he laughs and Karen's like, so what was your name again? And he's like, Justin, but you can call me grim. 
Yeah, he's like, that was my skate name, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Marcy's like grim, like like grimace. He's like, I got it when I was out in Berkeley competing in the X Games. And Bert's like, Karen's going to go to Berkeley. And Grim's like, awesome. She's like, yeah, people at Berkeley are so whack. You know, I met these guys. They had me all fucked up for like five days straight. Wouldn't let me have anything to drink but beer. And Grim's like, yeah, I totally have done that before, except I did it with JD, which we we know to be Jack Daniels. So Bert's like, uh, hey, that's a great idea. We should we should only drink beer for the rest of the trip. And Jeff's like, uh, yeah, I think I could do that, but I don't think you could handle it. So Bert and Jeff make a deal that they're only going to drink beer for the rest of the trip. Good time, you know? Yeah, just a good hang. Fucking up your liver. And- yeah. So Paul's like, uh, Grim, you're a skater. What's that like? And then it starts to thunder. And Grim's like, oh, you know what? I got to go. So Jeff invites him inside. But Grim says, uh, you know, he's like, all my stuff is outside in this tent. And if it gets rained on, it's like $4,000 worth of shit pissed away. So Karen's like, how far is your tent? And he looks, he's like, eh, if I book it, you know, I could be back in about 30 minutes. And they're like, all right, cool. Bring the weed. Uh, so we fade, we cross fade into the fireplace. And now everyone's in the house sitting around. Um, Grim's not there anymore. Uh, but Karen is telling everyone about how she used to masturbate with her parents. Uh, shower massager and Bert's like I got a better story Paul's like there's no story that's gonna be better than Karen masturbating with uh, her parents water massager he says he was jerking off and his dog came in licked his balls and as he came his dog put his tongue up his ass and everyone's like good god Uh, horrifying (laughs) a little bit yeah it's a pretty horrifying story uh, but it really paints Bert to be a very specific type of guy. Yeah, you, um, you know exactly the type of guy. Who... Yeah. So then we get a knock at the door and Jeff's like, if this guy didn't bring his weed, I'm not letting him in. Jeff, Jeff opens the door and it's the man that Bert shot the hermit from the beginning of the movie. And his face looks worse now. It's all scabbed over. There's just like holes in his cheek. And the man says, please, I need a doctor. And Jeff is stunned staring at the man. He's like, uh, yeah, let's let's get you a blanket or something. And the man sees Bert, who's trying to hide his face behind the bill of his hat and he uh, the man points to him and he says you you shot me and Bert slams the door and uh, shut in the guy's face and uh, he says we're not letting that contagious fuck in here and everyone's like we got to do something what, the, what are you talking about like the guy is sick like we, we give him a blanket at least and they they try to call the doctor on the phone but there's no service and they hear the truck start up and they look out the window to see the man in the driver's seat and just like fucking Bert grab that gun and everyone panics and starts grabbing weapons like everyone gets a weapon of their own like a baseball bat a crowbar a knife Lysol uh, and they all run outside and scream at the man to get out of the truck hitting the car with their weapons Bert shoots the car and just like don't shoot the car uh suddenly uh the man starts spewing blood out of his mouth while he's sitting in the car just all over the interior of the car just like big globs like pints of fucking blood spewing out of his mouth then he gets out of the car and starts making his way towards the girls marcy sprays him in the face with like whatever the light saw that she has right and uh paul steps in front of the girls with a torch you know and he accidentally catches the man's sleeve and it sets it catches on fire and then in in seconds the man's whole entire body is engulfed in flames and uh he starts screaming right and he runs off into the woods and then we cut to black they're all sitting around the dining room table they all try to reason with what just happened right jeff says that uh he's like we had to get away you know maybe maybe the rain you put him out because it's raining now right and so bert's like uh he's probably gonna die anyway you guys saw that shit on his face you know it looked like he was skinned alive and Karen says, we have to tell the cops what happened now. We need to tell someone. And Bert's like, well, would you just calm down? The car's fucked. We'll find a mechanic and then we'll report the accident. And he says, that's the key word here. It was an accident. And everyone looks at Paul, who's distracted and he's got 
honey poured all over the tips of his fingers. And he says, that guy's skin. Holy shit. And then we cut, right? We cut to Marcy and Jeff in bed. Marcy can't sleep. It's pouring rain. Jeff tries to fool around with her a little bit, but she won't do it. He puts on his uh, face mask and uh, he goes to sleep. Marcy keeps seeing images of the man on fire. Paul sees the man's face, you know, all all decayed. And Bert dreams of shooting at the ground to scare the man away. Karen sees Grimm's dog barking. And then we cut. The sun rises over the same lake. The truck is covered in blood and beat up. Paul and Brent head out the door to find help. Bert's like, clean up all the shit while we're gone. And Paul's like, yeah, I'll be sure to leave that for some of you guys. Jeff tells him to stay here. And Paul's like, why do I have to stay here? And Bert says, because you're a fucking pussy. And the boys start to fight, right? They all start to yell at each other. And Marcy exits the house and just starts walking into the woods. And everyone's like, where are you going? And she's like, I am going to go get help. So now we cut to the man's body, right? From the night before. And it's lying in some water. And then we pan up to see that there's a pipe in the water and we follow the pipe and find that it's it's feeding the drinking water into the cabin. So that's not good, Joe. Not good at all. Not ideal. And right as we get back to the cabin, Paul is pouring a glass from the tap and he walks into Karen's room and he tries to talk with her. She's packing her things. He places a glass of water onto the dresser. He's like, I know last night was fucked up and Karen's like, that man asked for help and we lit him on fire. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) pretty rude. Uh, Paul's like, I got scared. I was, I was just trying to help. And Karen cries and gives him a hug and they just kind of embrace for a minute. Paul tells him it was an accident and that guy was going to die anyway. Karen takes a sip of the water. Ah, fuck. And she hugs Paul again. And we cut to Jeff and Bert walking through some kind of refinery, like on a farm. Um, they walk into like, uh, they walk up to this barn. And they see this big pig hanging upside down and a woman steps into frame and she just slaughters the pig right right down the middle and the pig squeals a little bit and then she screams God damn it over and over. She just keeps going fucking mother. God damn. She starts punching the pig just over and over just screaming. Yeah. It's got like infected guts hanging out. Yeah. It's got like these yellow infected guts spewing out of the bottom of it. And she's just punching the fuck out of it. She's like, she is livid to, to like do it to a degree where it's almost, it's, it's scary. And she turns and she, she sees the boys and she goes, hold it. You there. Do you see this? And they're like, we didn't see anything. And she says, you tell Murray, I can't eat this shit. She yells that all the animals have been infected by some other animal out there. That's what she says. The boys tell her that they're looking for a mechanic. And she's like, well, you got to go in town, you know, and uh, I've already been into town uh, today. And Jeff's like, well, if you go into town again, can you let us know? Because we're staying in this cabin. And, And then he says, also, we don't know Murray. And her whole demeanor totally changes. She's like, oh. Why didn't you say so? You should have told me something right from the start. She's like, come inside. I have a radio. and We'll call Ricky. Takes him inside. And they go into the house. Bert tells the lady about the guy from last night. She's like, sounds terrible. You boys want some juice? You know, Jeff's like, yeah, some crazy hermit. You know, we had to chase him away with bats. And she's like, hermit wasn't Henry, was it? Nah, never. Then the boys look down and they see on her dresser that there is a framed photograph of Henry, the man that they murdered. And Jeff says, uh, Henry. And she says, yeah, he's my cousin, but he wouldn't do anything like that. You say you hit him with a bat. And Bert's like, no, it wasn't Henry. It was a friend. It was our friend, Walter. Uh, he got drunk and crazy. And she's like, well, that's no good. And they all kind of, there's an awkward beat, right? 
And then they decide, oh, you know, we're going to go for a walk. And she's like, are you sure? Okay, I'm going to call Ricky right now. And they're like, no, no, that's good. And then they just run out of the house. And because um, they just murdered this woman's cousin. So uh, they're running away and they're like, fuck, we burned that guy. And we cut to Marcy in a canoe on the lake. She paddles up to a shoreline and docks it. She uh, she looks around, you know, she sees like there's like a boom box in the sand. She's calling for um, and she finds this small white house. As she approaches this house, the camera cuts to slow motion. You know, and creepy music plays as she's walking up to it. And you're like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen here? You know, she enters the house calling for anyone if they're home. And uh, she goes into a room with a bar and then Bert pops up from behind the bar and he goes, ah, and scares her. And she's like, ah, and then Jeff enters and he's like, what the hell's going on? Marcy says that she's been looking for the man, but can't find him. Uh, she's like, he could still be alive. And Jeff says, that's not possible. Jeff tells Marcy they went to another house, too. And he pauses. And he says, but there is nobody there either. Marcy says, uh, I wonder if the cops know. Bert says, if they did know, uh, they probably would have already been by the cabin by now. Cut back to the cabin. A knock at the wooden door. Paul opens it and there's a deputy. Skinny young dude with aviator glasses. He says, morning, son. Uh, deputy Winston, Bunyan County Sheriff's Department, says uh, he says he was patrolling outside his jurisdiction. Um, he heard there was a lot of commotion at this property last night. He just wants to know what the story is. So Paul tells him the story about this sick man and how he tried to break in and, and how he's like, uh, and we're also, you know, we're looking for a phone because we wanted to call for help. Deputy Winston's like, uh, yeah, there's no phones, only radios. They start to walk outside together and deputy takes a look at the scene and he's like, oh man, you guys were doing some pretty serious partying, huh? Paul tells him the rest of the story about how the guy was coming at them, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, uh, and we, 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 you know, we had to hit him. We had to protect ourselves. Deputy Winston is like, uh, hey, man, hey, don't worry. You know, let me paint the picture for this guy, this Deputy Winston guy. Right. He's very he's a very skinny young guy. He's got these big kind of like almost like Dahmer aviator glasses on, you know, like the kind of tinted a little creepy. And uh, he actually like he's given this vibe that he, he was really into to Paul and what like what he's got going on with the party party stuff. He's like fucking a, loves partying. He fucking loves partying. So um, he's all about it. So he's just interested. He's like, you're at this cabin and you're partying. You got some women here, like beers, like I'm all about it. Karen walks out and she's like, what's going on? And the deputy is like uh, a lady friend. I bet you like to party with the ladies. Deputy calls back to Karen and he's like, everything's just fine, miss. Uh, go back inside. Have yourself a 40. Just party. <laughs> uh, Karen's like, um, OK. And then she goes back inside. He goes, Daddy, man, you can't leave. You got so much partying to do. This is a big party town. Paul's like, really? And the deputy's like, yeah, man, I know how it is walking down the street. New guy in town. All the girls see you and they don't know that you got five pounds of dangling meat looking for no commitment. Know what I mean? Paul's like, yeah, I, I've heard that phrase before. He's like, I'm a big partier myself. You know, he gets lots of pussy. Uh, he tells him that he's. Uh, Oh, yeah. And by the way, he's saying all this stuff as he's standing next to a truck that is covered in blood. Uh, it's just dripping yeah. on the outside and the inside with just human blood and like handprints. Anyway, the cop looks at the truck and he's like, damn, this guy did uh, really did a number on your ride. I'm going to put in an APB and uh, we're going to catch this guy. And Paul's like, well, yeah, we also hit the, you know, we hit the, the truck with bats and stuff, but we need a mechanic. And um, if you can help us get get one deputy's like, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot. I'll have someone out by tomorrow afternoon. Your top priority. You're the party man. Do you realize all the great parties we're going to have? And he's like, remember, my name's Winston. You know how to get a hold of me. And Paul says, 911. And Winston's like, yeah, that's it. 
and he gets on his party man party man yeah that's it then he gets on his his bike he's been riding a bicycle the whole time and he rides away and there's a little little ching ching as he takes off we cut to karen sleeping right and she's finished that glass of water it's empty she's dreaming we see a reverse shot of karen rolling from the lake water back onto the dock with paul then we see a blonde woman um, with this, like, just like a red, she rolls over, but as she rolls over, we see her face is just like a blood red. It's covered in blood. So cuts to Paul and Bert washing the car. Paul tells Bert about the cop and how he's getting a tow truck out. Bert says he sounds, uh, he sounds weird. And Paul's like, yeah, he was weird. And once he saw Karen, he like, didn't want to leave. And Bert's like, has Karen left her room? And Paul's like, I don't know. She just wants to go home. And Bert's like, kind of puts a kink in your plan you've been trying to get with her since the eighth grade and paul's like no there's no plan not anymore suddenly uh, grim's dog comes out of the bush and starts growling and barking ravenously paul and bird are like looking at it and they're like oh fuck right like this thing seems dangerous now something's going on then marcy runs out with the rifle and fires it in the air and the dog runs away cuts a moments later inside paul's like well where's grim and jeff's like he's out there rotting you know uh that fucking hermit's sick and spreading it all around and jeff says that we should leave now and not wait for the cop to return karen's like and what do we say on our way out oh by the way we burned some guy alive and paul's like yes jeff says no paul's like um yeah we have to we're the only ones out here it's going to be traced back to us and karen says i feel nauseous and she leaves the room bert says uh you know he might be able to make the car run but he's like um jeff you got to watch me with the with the gun because he's like if that dog comes back like I'm, i don't want to get fucking torn apart yeah. so marcy mambo's become very threatening dr mambo's very scary now so marcy's like uh i need a bath jeff's mom has the stupidest ideas let's get a cabin so gay uh so then we pan down to a cup uh of tea on the table that marcy was drinking and uh oh we're a little concerned now joe for marcy so we cut to paul walking into karen's room he tells her uh marcy made some chili and karen's like i'm not hungry and then she takes a sip of more water uh paul's like i'll just let you get back to sleep karen's like wait stay and paul gets into bed with her and they start spooning cut to jeff and bert and they're um trying to work on the car and then jeff sees the the dr mambo approach again and he fires a shot off to scare it away he's just trying to hit the dog this time he's not trying to scare it away Bert is trying to work on the car and he yells for him to shoot it already. And Jeff's like, just keep working. If it gets any closer, I can hit it. And Bert gets back to work. We fade out back to Paul and Karen asleep in bed. Paul leans over and kisses Karen's forehead. Then he strokes her hair. It's a sweet, soft moment. Then he feels around her collarbone. And now it's starting to get a little creepy, Joe. This mm-hmm. is a no-no. This is what we call a no-no uh, in the real world. She is currently unconscious. Yeah, she seems asleep, you know. She's 100% asleep, but he feels around her collarbone, and he moves his hand uh, under her shirt, and then down her pants. Uh, Not good, Paul. And uh, we can hear some mushing and gushing as he goes through, and we're like, well, this is a pretty graphic uh, fingering scene here. But it doesn't sound quite right, Joe. Sounds a little more mushy than it should be. Yeah. And so he pulls up his hand and he sees that his hand is covered in like bloody flesh and he freaks out, right? He pulls the cover uh, to reveal that her leg and her crotch are just decaying, just peeling away, 
just like holes, like like cheese, like Swiss melty yeah, like cheese. Somebody, yeah, took a cheese grater to her thigh. Yeah, it's really, uh, really disgusting. So Paul rushes into the bathroom to wash his hands and screams for Marcy. Marcy screams. She's like, she's got it. She's sick. Bert walks in and he freaks the fuck out. He starts screaming that she needs to stay in bed and tells everyone to get the fuck out of the room. Karen begs, please, I'm sick. And Bert's like, get the, you fucking, you stay back. You stay there. He calls her fucking bitch and he slams the door, locking her in there alone. Paul's like, what the fuck is your problem? And Bert tells him that he's not letting her go around and infect the rest of us. And Karen can be heard on the other side of the door, begging and screaming for someone to let her out. Paul screams for Bert to calm down. And then everybody's calm. Uh, Jeff walks out after using the toilet and everyone stares at him and he's like, huh, what? Piece of shit. So cut to them a little bit later and they're all in front of the fireplace and they're all checking each other for infections. Kind of the way you would check your friends for, um, you know, ticks or something. Yeah. How to do that in Puerto Rico. That's <laughs> we went there last right. year and rented ticks. a van. Yeah. Uh, or rented an SUV and the SUV turned out to be full of ticks. Good Lord. That's fucking terrible. Yeah. Full yeah. of ticks. Yeah, there were just ticks crawling all over the seats and stuff. Oh my and god! Yeah, yeah, we all had to check each other for them. My did brother, anyone get? Did my anyone get? His it? wife had a couple on them, but I had like quite bitten them or dug in yet. Damn. But yeah, they had to pull ticks off themselves. Um, well, sorry, went through that, Joe. Hey, it's okay. Nobody got Lyme disease. Yeah, nobody got Lyme disease. Cut to a little bit later, and they're outside. Right, everyone starts walking outside. It's a very dark night. Jeff leads the group with a flashlight and they all wait outside as Karen exits, you know, about 10 paces back and she's covered in a blanket. They walk out to a small shack in the backyard and they open the door and they lay out a sleeping pad. They let Karen in and she goes inside and lays down on the pad. But before she does, she looks at everyone and she says, fuck you guys. And Marcy's like, we're sorry. We just don't want to get it. She says, I'm going to die in here. And Paul's like, no, you're not. We're going to get help now. And she's like, what about that dog? And Jeff says, someone's going to be out here with a gun. We're bolting the door shut. And Karen starts crying. She says, I just want to go home. Nothing like being sick and being locked in a shed. Yeah. Yeah. I've never enjoyed that part of being sick. So Jeff closes the door on her and we cut to Paul walking through the woods with a baseball bat. He's he's frightened by the sounds of, of some rustling. Right. And he just says, ha, just to try and scare away whatever he fucking, ha, Cut to Marcy bringing Karen some food. She opens the bottom half of the door and says, come on, Karen, you got to eat. We see a shot of Karen sitting in the shadows, right? A silhouette of her face. And she doesn't answer. Marcy's like, let me know if you need anything else, okay? And Karen says, better close the door, Marcy. She leans into the light and we see that she has a rash starting to form under her nose. She smokes a cigarette. She says, don't want to infect everyone. Then Marcy shuts the door. Cut to Paul coming up on the cabin from earlier, the one that Marcy found. So this other cabin, right? So Paul's snooping around. He's looking around. He sees through the window of this cabin or this home, a beautiful woman lying in a bed naked with like rose petals and candles and stuff. She's like lighting these candles. And Paul just ganders, you know, all sweaty, little pervert. You know, you just got done uh, touching a sleeping woman. Paul, not looking so good here. Uh, This is strike two. Peeping Tom, straight up. Oh, straight up peeping Tom. Suddenly, a middle-aged man grabs him on the shoulder and he says, what the hell are you doing? And Paul tries to explain himself and the man's like, that's my wife. And he pulls out a shotgun and cocks it and Paul takes off running into the woods. Uh, He comes up on his own cabin. He's back. Bert's sitting out there with a gun and he's like, what the hell are you doing, man? You see anyone? And Paul says, no. And and Bert's like, well, okay, come on inside. You know, Marcy made some chili. Cuts inside and everyone's sitting around and Marcy's like, 
So is nobody hungry? And Jeff is sitting there on the couch covering his mouth and nose with a napkin. He says, what if Karen used those bowls? And she's like, I washed them. And Bert says he's not eating anything until they get back into town. Jeff says uh, he's not going to sleep near anyone because he doesn't want to get infected. And Marcy tells him to sleep in the car. But then he's like, that's a fucking germ factory. And everyone gets super worked up. And Bert burns a stick in the fire. And he says, who am I? Help, I'm burning. And it's like a flaming little thing. And he's just doing an impression of the guy that they murdered burning, running through the woods. (laughs) This pisses off Jeff. And he jumps on top of Bert and they start fighting. And then Marcy screams for them to stop. And Paul screams, shut the fuck up and they all stop right paul's like no more yelling we have to talk to each other we have to work together bert takes a sip of water yikes and paul says bert you just you just lost the bet the beer bet he lost suddenly the sounds of a dog barking they look out the window and grim's dog is trying to get into the shack where karen is being held they step outside and jeff fires the weapon into the air and the dogs run off bert says okay karen we're gonna stay here Uh, with you all night okay and there's no answer they can't hear karen so we cut to inside the shack and we can hear karen breathing and moaning then we cut to the next morning bert tries to get the car started he tries once it doesn't turn over he tries again and finally it gets the engine to turn on joe this is good news he goes inside to gather everyone Uh, marcy and paul go to the shed and they retrieve karen and they see that her legs are blood red like rotting away and uh, they pick her up and they carry her. Yeah, it's very bad. Uh, Bert runs back to the truck from the cabin, but as he does, he kind of stumbles and starts coughing up some blood and then he hides behind the car and spits more blood onto the ground. He starts to cry. He unzips his pants and he sees around his pubic area that scabs have started to form kind of like they had for uh, our old pal, Karen. So Karen's wrapped in a blanket now covered in blood. They place Karen near the car. Bert gathers himself and tries to act natural. He screams for Jeff to hurry the fuck up. They help Karen get into the front seat, uh, which is a little bit of disagreement there. Everyone's like, no, I don't want to get in the fucking car with her. And then Bert's like, I will drive, put her up front with me. And uh, but right when they go to put Karen into the front seat, she just starts spewing blood out of her mouth like uh, like the old hermit had and just all over the windshield. And they place her on the ground. Right. And then Paul looks at Bert and he's like, Bert, you don't look so hot. And he's like, yeah, I don't feel so hot either. But the longer we sit here and argue, the more she's going to lie there and rot. And Jeff's like, how sick are you, man? Did that old man touch you? And Bert's like, fuck this, man. I'm getting out of here. And he drives the car off of the property. Stranding everyone else. So they grab the sleeping pad from the shack and they place it on the ground. They roll Karen on top of it. Jeff grabs a bunch of beer and starts running into the woods. Marcy says, what the hell are you doing? And he screams that he is uh, not going to get infected. He's like, but you two fucking fuckers insist on touching Karen. You you two can fucking rot. Not me. No fucking way. And then he runs off into the, to the fucking woods. Marcy's like you fucking asshole they carry karen back into the shack and they close the door cut back to bert speeding down the road he itches his neck and it's bleeding a lot he's got he can see it's the same thing is starting to happen on the back of his neck and he's like oh fuck marcy is staring out the window of the cabin paul enters marcy says they're all gonna get sick now and and jeff's getting drunk in the woods and paul says bert's gonna get help you know and and karen will be okay i promise marcy says it's like being in a plane when you know it's gonna crash Everyone is screaming, we're going down, we're going down. And all you really want to do is grab the person next to you and fuck the shit out of them because, you know, you're going to be dead soon anyway. And she looks at him. 
And then we cut to bed and they're both naked. Marcy climbs on top of Paul and Paul says, you don't use condoms. And Marcy says, don't worry, I'm healthy. And then as she rides him and we can see as he grabs her back that there's that we hear a little mushing, you know, and we see that his fingers are leaving red tracks on her back. So we cut to Paul afterwards in the bathroom, pouring Listerine on his dick uh, to disinfect it. I guess, yeah. which works, you know, not that's not true. No, you don't need to use protection or anything. You just pour Listerine. That would be nice. Pour it on before and after. Yeah, I think that would work out pretty well. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that next time I have sex. So moments later, Marcy is in the bathroom washing up. She notices Paul's hand marks. Cut back to Bert pulling up to the general store, honking his horn. Bert gets out screaming for help. Tommy, the younger of the two men at the general store, uh, comes out and he's like, "What the hell's what the hell happened to you?" And Bert's like, "My friend is sick." And the guy and Tommy's like, "You don't look so good." And he's like, "I know, but there's this disease and I think all my friends are getting it. Do you know where a hospital is?" And Tommy's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, just stay right there." And he walks inside. Bert looks at Dennis, that little blonde kid who's still sitting on that swinging bench. And Dennis looks at him and kind of smiles and then he says pancakes pancakes and Bert's like no no pancakes and then Dennis gets up he starts doing these crazy uh fucking moves where he's like flipping and does a fly kick Joe he's doing karate moves like uh taekwondo or something <laughs> like, it's incredible he's doing flips and flaps and kicking all around coming at him like Bruce Lee like these really acrobatic things getting closer and closer to Bert and Tommy comes out of the room and he says Dennis I told you to stay on the swing then Dennis lands near Bert and bites his hand hard he screams Tommy screams after a moment of biting down Dennis stops and pulls back he doesn't like what he tastes he makes a face he runs back to Tommy into his arms and Bert screams what pancakes and Dennis cries right Tommy says why'd you come here look what you've done Look what you've done to this poor boy. What's he done to you? Bert says, I need a fucking doctor. And Tommy says, if you get my boy sick, that's as good as murder. And Bert's like, what? And he says, Tommy says, uh, you being sick, that's your problem. Dennis is sick. That's my problem. And if I get sick, that's Lucille's problem. We got to stop the problem. We got to stop it right now. And Bert cries, confused. Like, why is nobody helping me? And he runs into his car, right? Tommy screams, Fenster, get the raffle. Bert drives off. He's like, fuck you. Fenster, a big younger dude, uh, just a really towering uh, uh, young man. He brings the rifle, right? Tommy aims, but Bert's too far. He says, some kids are in a cabin. They have a disease. They just gave it to Dennis. And Fenster says, we'll need the kid. And then he walks inside. Cut to Paul uh, walking into the room where Marcy is in a robe. Paul, you really you really did a number on my back. Paul says, he's like, I, I'm going to go find Jeff. We can't wait around here anymore. It's time to get the fuck out of here. And Marcy's like, well, what about Karen? Cut back to Bert being chased by Tommy, Fenster, and a third man in this uh, truck speeding behind him. Uh, this, this other new third man is hanging out the window with a rifle and he's firing at Bert. And Bert's like, what the fuck? We cut back to Marcy and she's now sitting in a bath, uh, which is bad because we know that now she's sitting in just a, a whole bath of infected water and uh she is uh she's crying and her back is is starting to fall apart it's got all these big holes in it uh bert's truck breaks down in some like tall grass and he gets out and punches the hood and then he runs off as the other three arrive in their truck looking for bert we cut to paul walking searching uh for jeff by the lake and he's looking around and he comes across like this tractor and it's like next to this like reservoir of water he looks into the reservoir and he sees a body. He's like, what the hell is that? And he grabs a stick and he climbs down this ladder into the reservoir. 
And he hangs off the ladder and starts poking the body, trying to flip it over so he can see its face. And when he finally does, he sees the man's face charred to the bone, but it looks familiar. That face, that open mouth screaming face freaks Paul out. He knows who it is. The handle of the ladder breaks and he falls right on top of the dead man's body in the water. Oh man, the worst. Just <laughs> horrifying. Fuck, and then totally he, fucked. Totally fucked. And then he just starts panicking and uh, trying to, to get the guy's body off of him. And he tries to get onto the ladder, but then just another handle breaks and he falls back directly into the water. And it's just this creepy, like droning, anxiety inducing mu- music as he it's struggles. It's nasty water too. It's like it's some disgusting water. Fucking like pond scum and just looks diseased. They really should have known not to drink out of the water, even if there wasn't a dead body. Yeah. You would think bottled water, but nope. Yeah. They really these fucked kids up. only brought beer. He finally climbs all the way up the ladder and he's able to get out of the water and he looks up at a sign that says reservoir and he's like, oh shit. And he's realizing now what's happened. Cut to Bert stumbling through the woods. Uh, He tries to throw off the country boys. So he takes his hand and smears like his rotting flesh, like off of his hands onto this tree. And then he runs the other direction just to kind of mislead these guys. Cut to Marcy. And now she's shaving her legs. And now this is the, the, this is like the body horror. This scene has made me nauseous in the past, like made me almost pass out. It's really intense. It was like some straight Cronenbergian horrifying. I was almost like yelling at the screen at this point. Um, so she runs the uh, razor up and down her legs. And as she does, she's crying. We see a shot of her back and what's happened to her back. And then we see the razor running up her leg And as it uncovers more, we see that um, she's now starting to scrape off some of her skin. You can't describe how disturbing this whole thing is. It's very much based on like the the audio of it and the shots and how they follow the razor. Yeah, Um, she's just shaving and just her fucking skin is just coming off like sloughing off. Yeah, it's it's so it's absolutely horrifying. It's awful. So she starts screaming and panicking and she stands up and starts to shower off, but just screams more as blood just pours down her body. We see the three men. One fires his rifle and cut to Marcy as she's reacting to this. She hears this rifle go off and cut to Bert also hearing it, right? Marcy runs out of the cabin in her rub. You know, she doesn't know what to do at this point. We hear Dr. Mambo growling and she sees that, that he's he's standing there right by the woods. And so she starts running, right? She just starts running. The dog's fucking tongue is hanging out. Marcy screams. She's, she, she's running towards the shack where Karen is, but the dog is too fast. She can't open the door to the shack. We cut to inside the shack with Karen as we hear Marcy being torn apart. We cut to Paul who can hear Marcy's screams and he's sprinting through the woods. When he finally arrives, there are guts everywhere just splayed about the whole property. Horrifying scene. Horrifying scene. And he gags at what he sees and we can see Marcy's foot lying on the ground. When he gets back to the shack, he sees that Dr. Mambo is just going to town on Karen, just chowing away at like her belly. And Paul freaks out and the dog notices him and he starts to run away. And uh, Dr. Mambo chases after him, getting closer and closer. Paul sees a rifle on the ground. He jumps on top of it, grabs and turns around and fires the gun right into doc as, at the perfect time. And now we come back Here's a medical school down the drain. Right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot he was a doctor. We cut to Paul and he's in the shack. He sees Karen lying on the ground and he turns her over. And when he turns her over, we see that her face is now rotted all the way pretty much down to her skeleton. You can see exposed muscle, 
or teeth and gums no le- uh yeah no gums no, no lips, lips. No face and um it's it's a it's a really disturbing um shot yeah so disturbing that when she saw herself in the mirror with that makeup on uh she just broke into tears oh fuck really yeah damn we're talking about the actor here fucks yeah jordan lad knb did a real good job with this one is that the that's the special effects so paul grabs a pickaxe and uh just murders her just whatever is left of her he just starts hitting her in the face with a pickaxe i was watching this i was like is he putting her out of her misery is that what it is or is it more like rage i could it's hard to tell i think with this guy it is putting out putting her out of her misery but also maybe he's like uh well I'll, i'm never gonna love her now a <laughs> little She's bit of a, uh yeah selfish so it could be, there could be some selfish rage there but who knows so moments later paul packs up his things and heads out the door when he opens the door bert is lying on the porch crawling towards him and he says they're coming for you man and paul's like the deputy and bert's like no the guys from the store we cut to the men from the store uh, tommy says i knew these kids were trouble the minute they stole from my dad and they walk up on the cabin and tommy's like they must have been doing sacrifices or something something unchristian uh they slowly approach and walk up to the front door of the cabin and they count to three and then they kick down the door and that third guy whose name we don't know walks in with his gun drawn and Bert's sitting there with a, with his gun drawn and he says good night fucker and then the man with the shotgun shoots Bert uh and he's dead immediately just and his head just explodes and his head explodes uh blood and brains all over the wall and the guy says i got him but then paul swings a very heavy blunt object into this guy's mouth Do you know what this object was joe because i don't i think it might have been a fireplace poker yeah fireplace poker something really heavy hits the guy right in the mouth and he flies backwards off the porch and accidentally as he's flying off he fires his gun into tommy's belly paul runs out and looks over to see fencer uh, who scrambles for, uh, for his weapon but before he can Paul shoves a screwdriver into his ear and brain. Yeah, the Dawn of the Dead kill. Paul has a body count of what, like four people? Uh, Yeah, that seems about right, if you include the hermit. Uh, Tommy tries to crawl away, but Paul comes up behind him and take, picks up like a sharp stick and just shoves it into the back of Tommy, killing him. Yeah, just like impales him with it. And uh, Paul runs into the woods screaming for Jeff. He's like, it's in the water. Don't drink the water. Later in the night, he comes to a cave and he's looking through the cave for Jeff, but he gets no answer, right? And then he trips over something and he picks up his flashlight and turns to reveal it's Grim and he's dead. Uh, He pans the flashlight down to the bottom half of Grim's body and we see that it's just torn apart, right? Just guts. Yeah, he's just completely like split in half with just all guts and stuff hanging out yeah yeah worms crawling in his ear oh yeah worms crawling in his ear and stuff cuts a paul running from the cave through the woods in the dark he comes up on he comes upon the trucks and he sees that the men from the store have left their keys in their truck so paul speeds down the road in this truck he goes to adjust the rearview mirror and as he does he sees that a, a rash has started to form on his hand and then he looks back at the road and oh no a deer joe he slams the truck right into the deer deer goes right through the windshield oh yeah and i wrote greatest scene yet because i really liked this part so the deer goes right through the windshield but its legs come almost to touch paul's face and they're just kicking violently and so he's trying to stay away from this uh this deer that's about to like kick his fucking skull in and he's reaching for the shotgun he's just reaching and reaching um and he can't quite reach it and it's like oh he's gonna get hit by these legs and finally he gets the shotgun and he shoots the deer dead and as he does blood just fucking like a huge glob of blood just spews onto his face 
Yeah, so he's just covered in blood at this point. This is when the movie really takes that absurd turn. Yes, but I loved that fucking deer kicking through the windshield. Yeah, people, they didn't want to do that. And Eli Roth insisted on it. They were it's, like, it's not it's, Tommy Boy, you know? <laughs> it's great. It's a great scene. So he gets out of the car. It's quiet. The car shuts off. It's dead. Cut to three dudes that night. They're all sitting outside playing guitar and singing together. And there's this little like uh, party happening in the small parking lot, like 12 people or so. Deputy Winston, he's back. He hands an underage girl a beer and he says, here, have a big beer. And he's like, your hair is so sexy. Your shoes are sexy, too. And then they're like, the little, the little girls are like, uh, OK, and they just kind of drink the beer. Paul walks up and everybody stops singing and they look at Paul. It's quiet. He's covered in blood and he's not doing well. Winston's like, holy shit, man, what happened to you? And Paul's like, tow truck. What happened to the tow truck? And Winston's like, oh, yeah, the party. I sent the tow truck, but then it, it broke down. So I had to call another tow truck to tow that tow truck. And anyway, you need a ride. And Paul says, yeah, yeah, a ride would be good. Winston gets a call on the radio and it says, Winston, Winston, it's the sheriff. He goes, he grabs the radio. He's like, yes, sir. I copy. I'm still looking for that underage booze party. He's uh, well, we get this little story that he has gone to bust this underage booze party and has instead decided to stick around and party. The lamest party that has ever happened to. <laughs> <The lamest. but laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, what are they playing? Like some really like just the, the softest, like yeah. weirdest folk music. Like, yeah. And you've met people like this, people who just live to party and they just just think that partying is the coolest thing so the sheriff's like never mind that we got bigger problems some kids in a cabin are on a killing spree there's two possibly three casualties already so everyone looks at paul now who's standing there covered in blood the sheriff is like they're armed and hostile they got some kind of skin virus that will eat you alive so if you do see him do not hesitate to shoot him on sight and paul coughs up blood and he walks towards winston and he's like how about that ride man and the guy with the guitar stands up. He's like, Jesus fucking Christ, man. Shoot him, Winston. And Winston's like, I can't. I, my gun's in the car, which is a great <laughs> excuse. He can't just go to the car. Paul walks towards the guitar guy. And the guy's like, get the fuck away from me, fruitcake. And then he swings his guitar. But Paul ducks and he hits a guy who's playing harmonica right in the face. And the guy stands up who had the harmonica. And the harmonica has now been shoved into the guy's throat. And blood is pouring out of his mouth yeah. as he And chokes. the harmonica is lodged somehow sideways sticking out of his throat. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Like it didn't go down. Right, right, like right, right. Somehow went down like uh, vertically. <laughs> yeah. Like in the horizontal. Yeah. Paul grabs the guy who tries to hit him with the guitar and just vomits blood all over his face. And everyone starts running away as Winston stands there like, oh, gross. The whole party disperses. Winston leans down after everybody's gone and he picks up a beer bottle and he looks at it and he looks at Paul and he says, you fucking idiot. You just fucked up the whole party. You fucking idiot. And Paul holds up a blunt object and says, party's over, Winston. And he hits him over the head, knocking him unconscious. It's funny that when Winston first sees him walk up covered in blood, he's like, oh, it's the party, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great character. I mean, Winston's such a good character. It's really funny. So Paul runs away. And uh, as we see Winston lying there, uh, the harmonica guy falls into frame, still choking. And we hear as he breathes the harmonica making a sound like, <laughs> Uh, so Paul is making his way through the woods, stumbling, blood red. He comes to a road and tries to flag down cars passing, but the, nobody wants to accept because he's just crazy fuck. You know, a semi truck finally approaches, honking its horn. Paul collapses into the road, right? The semi slams on its brakes and right before hitting him, picks him up and takes him to the hospital. The 
Um, and uh, we cut it's to the hospital. Drops him off in front. Yeah, just kind of drops him off in front of the hospital and drives away. And uh, Paul's body lay on the steps, right? The nurses wheel Paul through the hall, right? There's Paul, also just like a guy with no legs wandering around in front of the hospital. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, Paul looks up as he passes a room, right? So he's like lying in bed and he lifts up his head, kind of delirious. And he looks into this room and he sees that there's a patient on the bed with a uh, person dressed in, in full uh, bunny costume. Yeah, kind uh, of like a fucked up Bugs Bunny outfit. Maybe he's hallucinating a little bit at this yeah, point. Yeah, he might be hallucinating. Um, he looks confused, but then passes out, right? Sweet, loving music plays as we see shots of all the memories of Paul and Karen walking through the woods, laughing, kissing. Uh, and then the shot of her um, face, which uh, has the skull, no skin shot of her with no face. Um, I will say it, it is kind of funny that like his memories uh, were just of the memories that we all saw. You know, they've been friends since eighth grade. And it was just like the the most recent three memories in the yeah. woods. So Paul wakes up in a hospital bed and he's in pain. He's itching his stomach and he lifts up his gown and he sees that his stomach is that's got this full rash. Right. There's two doctors and a police officers, police sheriff, I should say. Uh, the sheriff says, we need to know everything that happened. And Paul cries. He says, they're all dead. The, the sheriff says, we need to know where you got this disease. And Paul says, it was a guy from the woods and he looked like, oh, he looked like Bert's marshmallow. And then the doctors look at each other and everyone's like, okay, well, this guy's uh, off his rocker, right? Yeah, maybe a little delirious. A little delirious. So they all uh, leave the room. And as they leave the room, Paul says, should have sent that tow truck. I should have killed him too. They close the door. One of the doctors says, we're not equipped to handle something like this. Cook County is his only shot. The doctor says, <clears throat> and the officer says, Fine. Put him in my car. I'll take care of him. Cuts a Winston driving the police car bandage wrapped around his head. We hear coughing in the back. Winston says, look who's waking up. It's the fucking party, man. Guess the party ain't over. Got a lot more party in the deal. After another cough and uh, the words water, Winston's like, oh, I don't have any water. All I have is 40s. Uh, if we find some water, I'll give it to you. So sit tight. We cut to the next day, right? Jeff crawls out from under like a tree. And he's drunk as hell, but he starts heading back to the cabin to what can only be a horrendous scene, right? He's walking up. There's there's guts <clears throat> everywhere. There's blood all over the porch. Uh, he walks into the room and he sees Bert's headless body lying there. He continues through the house into the bathroom. He sees that there's just blood lining the bathroom and it's all just blood. It's a horrifying scene. And uh, he walks out and he says, they're dead. They're, they're all dead. And he's, he's crying and he says, I made it. I fucking made it. I knew it. And now he's super excited. He's like, I knew it. I made it. And he runs outside and he steps into the yard and he cheers up into the heavens and he says, I made it. Then suddenly three cops fire their pistols into his body over and over. Just bu bullets riddling Jeff's body. You yeah, see, give him the full Bonnie and Clyde treatment. Just like full. They just and they what's great, too, is they keep firing bullets. And then as as their clips are empty, they just keep firing empty chambers. Also very callback to Night of the Living Dead. Huh? Yeah. Kind of a similar ending. So Jeff falls to the ground. The police pick up his body and they throw it into a pile of uh, everybody else's bodies that they have. Uh, and they're going to set it on fire. The sheriff is like, you get rid of that other one. And then Winston stands there. We see Winston again. And Winston is holding two beer bottles and looking at them, almost like comparing the beer. <laughs> That's his uh, contribution. 
And then Winston says, I think there's another one in the basement. So they set fire to the piles of bodies and they head inside. Now cut to two children carrying a big Gatorade jug to the river and they start filling it up with water. And we can't, the camera pans up the river a little bit and we see Paul lying near the water dead. His head is dripping blood into the water and it's going directly downstream into these kids little Gatorade jug. Cut back to the general store. Happy banjo music plays as the officers are walking up to the old racist man sitting on the porch. And he says, hey, fellers, been a rough morning up here. And then we hear lemonade, mister. And uh, the cops turn and they see that the two kids that we just saw have now made lemonade with the water that they found. The officer says, uh, sure. The sheriff takes a sip and he says, well, that's mighty fine. Grab a cup, boys. And he invites the rest of his officer friends over. Now, three black people walk up as hip hop starts to play. And uh, the old man sees these black people, right? And he retreats inside. And as the rushes inside, you're like, oh, yeah, he fuck. just, you're like, fuck, man. We heard what he said before. And as the black people walk into the store, the old man reaches for his rifle and he turns around and he says to the black people, he says, there you go. I fix it right up for you. Polish it and everything. And they all just greet each other and they start slapping hands and they're, they're friends. Hugging they all start him shit. hugging them. They're calling each other the N word and. And then we cut to credits right there, Joe. A bluegrass band plays on the porch. And that's the end of the movie. But it's a, everyone's it's a, standing around drinking lemonade. Everyone's standing around drinking lemonade. Uh, as the credits roll, we see that they're, uh, you know, they're having like this big kind of like block party at the general store. And then we see a semi truck drive away from the store that says down home spring water. Only to tell us, Joe, that uh, now the whole goddamn town, maybe even the whole city, the whole Maybe several cities, Joe. Oh, yeah. Just wait till Cabin Fever 2. Hell yes. And we cut to black and that's the end of the film, Joe. That's it. Great movie. I love it. It's such a fun one. It really is. It, it kind of is like everything that was wrong with uh, with Wrong Turn is right with this movie. Yeah. It's like you don't have time to make these people really likable anyways, you know? Yeah. Make them absurdly shitty and then kill them all. Yeah. And it's enjoyable to watch. Oh, man. And it's just so fucking gross, too. It's a really gross movie. In the movie. best way. In such a great way. I'm glad you liked it. After Wrong Turn, I just thought, let's turn this up a notch and, and see if uh, it's better or worse that way. Yeah. And I think uh, it absolutely is better that way. I don't know. I mean, I, the thing with the Wrong Turn, right, is like I hated it. And uh, I think I think people seem to like that uh, we did a movie that um, I, I wasn't like, hey, great movie. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They seem to, to dig that. But also this is, uh, I think it's fun to talk about movies like this that are just like. It's it's really great. And it, it you know, like it definitely made Eli Roth's career. Is this uh, the one? Yeah. Oh yeah. This was the one that got him like uh, established him as like a, uh, you know, a prominent horror director. That's great. So uh, let's see. Uh, Eli Roth wrote the script with his former roommate, uh, Randy Perlstein in 1995 while working as a PA on Howard Stern's private parts. Uh, various elements of the script were inspired by 70s and 80s horror films, including The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last House on the Left, The Evil Dead, Mother's Day, and the zombie films of George A. Romero. Oh, nice. Uh, very similar inspiration to Wrong Turn with this one, but it just was so yeah. much better executed. Yeah. As uh, an interesting note of the casting. So uh, the auditions for the character of Marcy had been scheduled to take place on September 11th, 2001. Oh, boy. The scene the producers had chosen for the auditioning actress was the build-up to Marcy's sex scene with Paul. In the scene, Marcy's convinced they're all doomed, and she describes the situation as like being on a plane when you know it's going to crash. 
Everybody around you is screaming. We're going down. We're going down. Oh my God. And all you want to do is grab the person next to you and fuck them because you know they're going to be dead and you're going to be dead soon anyway. Eli Roth and the producers tried to cancel the Marcy auditions, but the general chaos caused by the attacks made it impossible for them to reach many of the actresses who were scheduled to try out for the role. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. Weird. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yikes. Uh, Filming for Cabin Fever began in late 2001 lasted 24 days on location in North Carolina. Uh, The production was stalled after one day of filming due to an anthrax scare. Okay. According to Roth. This is is the time for that. Yeah, right? Yeah. And it really is like an appropriate post-9-11 movie. Really kind of like after living through a pandemic, like, oh, it makes sense that everyone was so shitty. Totally. Uh, If these kids had survived, they would have died because they would have been anti-masked during COVID. Yeah, 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 that's very true. Uh, Cabin Fever received mixed to better than average reviews from critics. Uh, Peter Travers of Rolling Stone called the film a blast of gory good fun that just won't quit. Sure. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Roger Ebert felt it suffered from genre and tonal inconsistencies. Uh, Boo! Rating the film one and a half stars, he said, it jumps around like kids on those arcade games where the target lights up and you have to stomp on it. Yeah, whatever, dude. I don't give a shit what he says. I don't care at all. I'm like, why does it have to have a consistent tone and genre? I think that's one of the most fun things about it is that it goes from like hilarious to horrifying back and forth so often. Yeah, I feel like Ebert was just locked into a certain kind of movie that he liked. And he was like, if it doesn't fit this, you know, style or like very. these very, these very specific kind of like been done a thousand times genres. And then like, he just won't be into it. It's got to like do right, exactly right by the book. Yeah. He, uh, he felt that the film could develop its plague story in a serious way, like a George A. Romero picture or 28 days later, but it keeps breaking the mood with weird humor involving the locals. Whatever. Such a frustrating person but he is dead so we can sleep at night joe <laughs> yeah man he just didn't like horror movies no he didn't part, you know? no he didn't uh peter jackson on the other hand the director of lord of the rings film series was a notable fan of cabin fever uh, having seen the film from a print sent to him jackson suspended production on return of the king twice in his native new zealand to have it screened to his cast and crew members okay uh, he complimented the film as an unrelenting gruesomely fun bloodbath uh, Quentin Tarantino also expressed his admiration for Cabin Fever, calling Roth the future of horror. Nice. And then he put him in Inglorious Bastards. Is Eli Roth still making horror? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was his? I forget what it, uh, he did. Green uh, Green Inferno was a while ago. House in oh. the clock. Uh, the house with the clock in its walls was pretty recent, and that was like a kids horror movie that he made. It's like a PG rated. Oh, interesting. Uh, so while while filming a particularly bloody scene. Ryder Strong decided to go for a walk in the woods between setups. Covered head to toe in blood, he happened upon a group of 35 schoolgirls who were on a field trip. The girls screamed at the sight of this blood-drenched hiker, uh, and then screamed even louder when they realized the hiker was the star of Boy Meets World. Yeah, they chased Ryder through the woods. Uh, He eventually made it back to the film crew and vowed to never wander off between scenes again. Yep. Yeah, he was famous. Yeah. I mean, you were famous to children. At yeah. That point. This is a, a very hard turn, you know, like, yeah, 
It was such a weird casting choice, especially when you're not knowing what this movie was going to be and then having seen Boy Meets World. A Disney actor. Yeah. Or whatever. Or yeah. Nickelodeon or whatever the fuck. They, they've been doing that a lot in horror movies, you know, cast yeah. like Disney kids and like do that with Spring Breakers too. Okay. Crew member Robert Jones took home a decapitated body prop once the film wrapped and was pulled over while driving home by police officers at gunpoint who thought the corpse was in the, the corpse in the passenger seat was real. Oh my God. Uh, they held him at gunpoint uh, until they were able to confirm that it was only a prop. That's crazy. That's uh, gotta be fun. Yeah. Uh, sound mixer, John Neff survived a real flesh eating bacterium, which he contracted in a hospital during minor surgery. Th- uh, took 13 days of nonstop intensive care and medical attention to save his life. Neff maintains that the makeup in the film is 100% accurate. Really? Director Eli Roth originally got the idea for this movie while he was working on a horse farm in Iceland. He got such a bad skin infection from the rotting hay in the barn that his face broke out in sores, bled and peeled off when he shaved. Oh, uh, there's a part where Bert is wearing a shirt. It says ripe on 6-13-04. Okay. Uh, which is the day Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen turned 18. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's, that's a great shirt for a piece of garbage person. Yeah. Because I, I always uh, thought that was the creepiest fucking thing ever. All right, so I got some notes from uh, Beneath the Skin, which is okay. like a making of documentary that they did. So Eli Roth's dad uh, knew that he would make a horror film the day he vomited when watching Alien. He began making horror films with a Super 8 camera when he was eight years old. Uh, wow. He used to cover wow. his brothers in ketchup and ruined all his dad's power tools. Wow. Uh, he was talking about the, the skin infection he got in Iceland. He said, my skin basically began to eat itself. And one day I woke up and I was shaving and, uh, and I started shaving and I peeled off layers and layers of my face. So I began to learn very quickly about flesh eating viruses and different skin infections. Woof. Makes it a lot scarier, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, Jordan Ladd said what attracted her to the script was the fact that it was totally grotesque and gory and made me sick. Sure. Uh, The look of Cabin Fever goes from light to dark in a gradual progression throughout the film. They left a different level of silver on each reel designed to progressively get darker and darker as the movie goes on uh, and increases the contrast and desaturates the colors to be more in line with the film stocks of the 70s. Uh, eventually taping on uh, hyper-real contrast and hyper-real grain. They yeah. left the fluorescent lights on in the hospital to give it a sick, uh, green, sickly feeling. That's great. Uh, the look of the cabin was inspired by the raw, unsettling imagery of Irish-born painter Francis Bacon. Mm. Angelo Baldamenti composed a few songs for the movie, including the Red Love Blood theme, a.k.a. the Finger Bang Misfire. Sure. That's a fun name for that scene. I do like that finger bang misfire. Garrett Immel was the special effects artist and he and Eli Roth communicated in film references. Uh, The screwdriver in the ear was the dawn of the dead scene and Jordan Ladd's makeup was described as a living skeleton like the Evil Dead 2 poster. Wow. For Bert's head explosion, they used an air mortar full of blood and guts to splatter all over the wall. Uh, and James DeBello requested to ples- press the button himself and blow up his own head. That's cool. Uh, after the shot, Joey Curran said, I didn't know Bert had that much brains. Very uh, funny. Very funny because he's dumb, folks. Yep. 
So the blood they used was made of caro syrup and food coloring, which coagulates in the cold. They covered Ryder Strong head to toe, and before each take, they wanted to look fresh. So they had to juice him up before every take. Uh, It was 40 degrees outside. Eli Roth thought they should put him in a wetsuit to keep him warm. Uh, The blood went between his skin and the wetsuit and uh, coagulated and stuck to his skin. So for the next three days, he was picking uh, dried blood off his skin and out of his hair. Yikes. Ari Ravine, uh, he played the hermit. He's a method actor. And uh, standing in the freezing cold, they lit his character on fire. And he requested to actually be lit on fire himself, saying, uh, it's all in a day's work, you know? Uh, yeah, that's a stupid thing to do. The I mean, bomb. if I were, yeah, I mean, it's the, you're, it's the last scene. You don't have to catch yourself on fire just because you're a method actor. That's a, that's a, you're going too far. Yeah, I think so. You should use a stunt double for that. Yeah. It's not, it's not like there's going to be, it's not like you're going to act on fire better than a, a stunt guy. But he wanted to be lit on fire. So they lit him on fire. Good for him. So Dr. Mambo was originally played by Jake the dog who played the black dog in the movie Black Dog with Patrick Swayze. Okay. Roth wanted to be two degrees from Swayze, so they cast the dog without watching a tape. Uh, What they got was a happy little dog that all he wanted to do was wag, pant, and lick. The prop master said the dog was uh, too fat, too old, it's arthritic, and the dog didn't do shit, not even (laughs) hang on to a damn stick. (laughs) okay uh there's behind the scenes footage of the trainer struggling to get jake to growl but he just stands there looking friendly uh after a full day of shooting all they had were uh you know they had only had about a minute of usable footage uh so all the scene all the dog scenes had to be reshot with a new dog Uh, one of the producers said this was a big problem we shot a whole day and had something that just didn't scare me at all and i knew it would haunt the production and i didn't care what it took we had to find another dog and in this emotional mindset of mine i think i might have gone a little overboard in getting a dog that was that no actors could be around he was that menacing (laughs) with no time or money to find a replacement the producers cast a real police attack dog that was so vicious and unpredictable, no actors could appear on camera with it. Jesus Christ. The crew would hide behind trucks during its scenes, and the cameras were operated by remote control. Wow. And they showed wow. the dog. The dog is more vicious than it looks in the movie. This is the craziest, Shit, scariest dude. dog. Well, I mean, it worked out. You yeah. know? Yeah. God damn, dude. Film productions are fucking insane. Oh, for the party scene, they wanted to create the type of lame party scene in 70s horror movies with people just standing around in the woods drinking. Uh, Eli Roth said, Winston loves to party, and the worst thing that can happen for him is the party gets broken up. <laughs> yeah. Cabin Fever was the final film screened uh, for the Toronto Film Festival. Ten minutes into the film, people got up and started leaving, and Eli Roth was like, what the hell is going on? Uh, it turned out they were bidding on the movie. And that night they had a screening in a thousand seat theater with people lined up around the block at midnight in the rain waiting to see it. At the end of the screening, Roth came on stage and said, uh, every single company that told me they would never make this movie or give us money for this movie yesterday was slugging it out in a bidding war. They eventually signed a deal with Lionsgate. The movie had the lowest budget of any Lionsgate film released in 2003 at $1.5 million uh, and ended up being their highest grossing film of that year and $22 million at the box office. Hell yeah. yes. 
That's awesome, man. It's always a good fuck you to like the uh, the executives, you know. Yeah, absolutely. When you're like, oh, you guys all said no to my movie, and look at this, go fuck yourselves, you know. Yeah, that had to be a nice moment. Hell yeah, good for you, Roth. Um, all right, well, that's all I got. Yeah, we'll call it so you can go get your stuff done, pick up your guitar. You got your stuff for uh, band practice tomorrow, and yeah. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We'll talk to you real soon. And thank you for listening to the Only Horror Movie Podcast. Tell your friends. Reach out. Join the Discord. We love you. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. (laughs) Bye. See you next time. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.